Well, Psalm 7, if you would. Again, um, it's an imprecatory psalm, and I've mentioned in your notes there under the second paragraph, what is an imprecatory psalm? Well, an imprecatory psalm is one that calls for judgment or calamity. Uh, I call them the voodoo doll psalms uh, because you're, you're, you're wanting your enemy to be cursed. However, it's not so vindictive as it might first appear because the vindication is tied directly with God's reputation. And that's what you're going to see as we go through this psalm. I mentioned the purpose for these type of psalms, this is in that second paragraph, include the following, and this is key. A concern for righteousness, an anticipation in praising God for deliverance. We're going to see all of these elements in this psalm today. An opportunity to see the righteous rewarded, a declaration of God's attributes, often his character, uh, and a call for individuals, including the wicked, to seek the Lord. Because God has a big paddle, a thick paddle with holes in it, right? Get ready. Uh, he's going to bring justice. So let's look at the psalm, and we'll dissect it here. O Lord my God, Psalm 7, verse 1, In you I have taken shelter. And shelter or shield is a common concept through the psalms, isn't it? Uh we're even going to see it twice in, in this psalm alone. Deliver me from all who chase me, rescue me. Otherwise, they will rip me to shreds like a lion. Another common image in Scripture. Satan is a roaring lion. Remember this? Uh, from the New Testament. They will tear me to bits and no one will be able to rescue me. O Lord my God, if I have done what they say, or I am guilty of unjust actions... Or I have wronged my ally or helped his lawless enemy. May an enemy relentlessly chase me and catch me. May he trample me to death. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, we'll talk about what he's saying here. But he's saying, if I've done any of these things wrong, may it happen to me and leave me lying humiliated in the dust. Rise up angrily, O Lord. Spring into action with a raging fury against my enemies. Intervene for my sake and execute the judgment you have decreed for them. The countries are assembled all around you. Take once more your rightful place over them. The Lord judges the nations. Vindicate me, O Lord, because I am innocent. There it is, right? He just said, if I'm not, deal with me. If I, but I'm not. I'm innocent. I am blameless, O exalted one. May the evil deeds of the wicked come to an end, but make the innocent secure. O just God, you who examine inner thoughts and motives, the exalted God. You get this? We're going to come back to this, but the character of God drives his understanding of, of uh, well, I should say it brings him comfort, doesn't it? In is my shield, sounds like verse 1, the one who delivers, verse 1, the morally upright. God is a just judge. He executes judgment through the day. If a person does not repent, God sharpens his sword and prepares to shoot his bow. He prepares to use deadly weapons against him. He gets ready to shoot flaming arrows. See the one who is pregnant with wickedness, who conceives destructive plans and gives birth to harmful lies. He digs a pit. I love this. And then he falls into the hole he has made. <laughs> He becomes the victim of his own destructive plans and experiences the violence he intended for others. 
I will thank the Lord for his justice. I will sing praises to the sovereign Lord. Psalm 7 is indicative of the, the, uh, these imprecatory psalms. There's no doubt about it. It starts off, and this is there in your notes, it starts off for a prayer of deliverance. Lord, rescue me. In fact, I, I had one question, is in your notes. What concerns the psalmist? What, what's he concerned about in, in these first two verses? What's he say? Let's just look at these. What does he know? Help us out. He's being chased. At least his perception is he's being hunted down. What else is he concerned about? Being torn apart. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, ripped to shreds, right? As, literally, is what the text says. Mm -hmm. What else? Yeah, Marcus. He's an injustice. Yeah. He, has, he, has, he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. And it's interesting, which we're going to see as we move into verses 3, 4, uh, four and 5, it appears that those are the false accusations that are being leveled against him. Because he's saying, if all of these things are true that's being said about me, then may they happen. Then, you know, may you judge me. Anything else? What concerns him? Yeah, Daryl? No human will be able to save him. Yeah, there, there's no help here. Can you ever relate? Have <laughs> you had an incident? Uh, there was a job situation in our past as a family. And that's exactly how I felt. Lord, I, I, this doesn't make sense. And if they have their way, they're going to crucify me. Alright? Notice what, I, I had another point here. No, what assumptions does the psalmist make? Besides that he's, he's doomed, what, what assumptions does he make, particularly about God, in, the, in these two verses? That he can save. That he can save, yeah. In fact, not only can he save, he's the only one who can, right? There's no human formula for rescue here, apart from God. What else? Right, right from wrong. Just. He's just, yep, yeah, right from wrong. You also could assume the psalmist has a relationship with the Lord, mm -hmm. right? He knows the Lord. And we're going to see that as we move along. There's an assume, assumption, I know who you are, Lord, and I know that you can do this. And my confidence rests in you. Paul's in his work, uh, the quote is there on the imprecations of the psalmist. He writes, to miss the prominence of the psalmist's distress in these types of psalms is to miss their connection with human life. <laughs> Within these psalms, there's no pretense of accepting or approving of the suffering as God's will. In fact, it's contrary to who God is in the imprecatory psalms. This isn't how God designed it, right? He says, intended for the psalmist's own good. Instead, the psalmist cries out to God, voicing his connection, uh, contention that something is terribly amiss. All right, so in, indicative of these type of psalms, and there are several of them, I've included the common ones in your notes in that second paragraph the, the psalmist begins by saying Lord help <laughs> I'm in serious trouble and then what's often the case with these type of psalms is that you move to a declaration of innocence <laughs> All right? uh, I know, it's awful. but a declaration of innocence and you see that 
and it's beautifully displayed in verses 3 through 5, right? Uh, 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 psalmist is saying, hey, what should happen to them should happen to me if, if I am truly guilty. Did you notice this? And, and notice what, what he says. If, if, if I have done what they say, We don't know necessarily the context. The title says it's concerning a Benjaminite uh, that has leveled charges against David. We, it's, it's hard to know the exact context there because we don't have anything else in the Hebrew scriptures that highlight that. Uh, the Benjaminites were, were at times a thorn in David's side. We do know that. Um, but it doesn't appear to be a physical that's where the psalmist is gone in verses 1 and 2, right? But at this point, it, it seems to be more of a verbal onslaught. I had a former student that thought, uh, well, actually, I never had him as a student, but he was at the same university, um, that decided to start a website and take a couple of us, our names, through the mud. <laughs> and uh, it's very difficult to uh, eliminate that on, a, on the Internet, I can assure you. And um, we had a group of lawyers who said, well, we could, we could go after them for defamation. I said, no, let the dogs bark. The truth will be found out. And you, but at the time, those words are, you know, the, the whole this little ditty you learn, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names may never hurt me. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true at all. And if you're in the workplace, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a wayward child. <coughs> Those words are so piercing. And you do feel like they're ripping you to shreds. Uh, uh, so it's interesting. I don't know. Uh, the, the psalmist, all he's saying is, it, it seems to be a, a verbal attack. If I have done what they say, or I am guilty of unjust actions, again, we don't know exactly what those accusations are, but he apparently is accused of doing things that are not right, or I've wrong, wronged my ally or helped his lawless enemy, and he even sided with the enemy. Uh, I mean, then he's clear, right? The psalmist says, trample me to death. Um, this is one time I, I don't like the net rendering. <laughs> uh, it says, leave me lying humiliated in the dust. There's two ways that you could render this phrase in the Hebrew. One is, may I just look uh, kind of as if I'm naked in the ground, embarrassed to death that I'm wallowing in the dirt or it could mean I, I'm dead and I think that's probably more the idea here is, is, is may you place me in the dirt, take me out is probably the idea here and I put both of those at the bottom of, of page one in your notes so you can see that questions on this phase of the psalm Again, he cries for help. He then states here, hey, the reason I need help is, God, I am innocent. Now, the psalmist is going to recognize the Lord already knows this, but he's going <laughs> to remind the Lord of this. <laughs> right? And he's going to come back to that, as we see here in a second. Because in the call for judgment, the next three verses, he's going to remind the Lord, indeed, I am innocent. Which is an amazing statement was talking with a pastor a few months ago and he was saying, you know, when there's an issue, uh, there's, there's 
wrong on both sides. Well, that's not necessarily true. Right? Because notice what the psalmist says in verses 8 and 9. The Lord judges the nations. Vindicate me, Lord, because I am innocent and I am blameless. How can someone ever say that before an almighty God? Well, Alan Ross, in his three-volume doorstop commentary, he makes a comment, and this is in the middle of your notes. I'm going to jump ahead, but I want to read this quote by Ross because it, it, it really drives what's happening in these three verses. Innocent, Alan Ross, right there in the middle. Notes in his commentary on the Psalms, which is, by the way, if you want a, a nice commentary on the book of Psalms, his three-volume work is just stellar. It's fabulous. He writes, When a psalmist claims to be blameless or perfect, it means that he is in the proper spiritual condition to commune with God in his sanctuary. He is sound, complete, and morally unimpaired. He may have sinned, that's key here, but he knew how to deal with sin according to the law. On the whole, because he's a faithful believer, he acts with integrity. And I would argue that's true for the New Testament saint, right? If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And in this situation, the psalmist is stating, these accusations, I'm not guilty of. I don't know uh, about you, but there's times when those accusations are flying. You do do an inventory, don't you? you know, wait a minute. You may even grab some close friends and say, are these, are these things true? Um, I ended up putting in the front of my Bible all of my colleagues who were slain, so to speak, just so I remind, remind myself, no, I'm, I stand with a whole host of people who were hurt in this process. I'm not the only one. I'm not losing my mind. And, and the psalmist, as he's rehearsing this, he says, Lord, I am innocent. I'm blameless. So why does he say that? He, well, that drives him to say what he says in verse 6. Rise up, spring, intervene, execute. Notice the commands? Boom. I mentioned this in your notes. The four imperatives, the urgency is there. And arise is used to call for God's presence in battle. And awake is from the battle cry in Deborah's war, which is fabulous. Yes. Well, he was truly, truly had faith when he needed that. Great question. Let's answer that. If he truly needed faith, does he need to ask God to do so? <coughs> How do you respond? It's a great question. Don't you think God expects us to ask? Because he's a loving God? There, prayer, one of the... Uh, uh, yes, well, I would argue one of the things for prayer is it's, it's conforming our will to his. And, seeing, and God graciously allowing us to come to him. Uh, this is the sounding board, so to speak. Right, but what else? What else would you say here? Yeah, Marcus. It's, it's an acknowledgement, it's a verbal acknowledgement that God's in control, that God, God knows what's going on. So it's not like he isn't aware of this. Mm -hmm. He is, but he wants to hear that you're depending on him versus, you know, You know, after four years at cemetery, seminary, uh, you're supposed to know your theology well, right? You can tell what a superlapsarian is and all that jazz, right? But I'll tell you, 
uh, it's not until you hit the wall that you have to rehearse your theology. I think that's part of, of what the psalmist is doing. I think Marcus, you're right. He knows his theology. He knows who God is and what God does, and etc. But I think part of praying is, is Lord, I need to rehearse this. <laughs> I, I need to reflect. And that's why, man, if you're in the Word, it's amazing how God will even recall Scripture. Have you ever been there? And all of a sudden, these the words of the, the, the text just come flooding through. Um, I won't, there's an individual in the room, I won't put him on the spot. Uh, he has so much scripture committed to memory. And it's amazing when you talk to him, it just, it just comes out. And, and for the psalmist in the midst um, of the difficulty here, I think part of it's just rehearsing for his own, own well-being. And, and verbalizing it to the Lord. Um, and, and there is a sense of urgency here. Lord, I'm going to rehearse what we know about you, and please act. Do it. Uh, and and why? Because it's the Lord's reputation at stake. This is the basis of the vind- these imprecatory psalms. It isn't so that the psalmist can be vindictive. In fact, the psalmist never says, let me go whack their heads off, right? He says, Lord, you go whack their heads off. <laughs> May their children be fatherless. You get the idea, right? That's another imprecatory psalm. So you go get them. You do it. Why? Because it's your reputation. Now, part of it also is driving this is uh, we're under a different economy uh, in Scripture where God's entire reputation is wrapped up with the covenants he's made with Israel and also with the Davidic king. So to touch them is to touch God. But I would argue there's still some of that today. We allow, the, though, in the New Testament era for the Lord to do the revenge, don't we? He can vindicate. Um, don't ever get out the paddle and whack your enemy. Let God do it. He's such more. He's so more creative, <laughs> right? Let Him do the vindication. I don't want to steal any of His thunder. He's so much better at it. That's why. <laughs> yeah, but we're not patient. Yeah, we're not patient. <laughs> it's with uh, our kids being consistent. The most difficult thing is in parenting, right? Being consistent. Uh, both my wife and I. And uh, Lori, in set, often is a little bit more disciplinary than I am. I'm a little, uh, sometimes I let things slide. And um, I heard my daughter say to jo- my son, Josiah, she said, listen, you better shape up because when mommy gets home, you're really going to get it. <laughs> so that's, let the Lord do it. And, and I was like, oh, that's an indictment on me because I need to be consistent uh, with Lori too on, on how we discipline our children. <laughs> yes. He was right. No, never mind. All right. So the, the call to action is Lord act. And, and notice in verse 8, the Lord judges. Here he, he goes into who God is, his reputation. The Lord judges. Uh, he says, I'm in his O exalted one, which he repeats in verse 10. This is who you are, you who examine inner thoughts and motives. That's an amazing statement because what does it imply about the psalmist? He better be righteous and holy. He better be walking with God because he's just called curse upon his head if he is guilty and he's already reckon- and he also recognizes God knows inner thoughts. So I can't hide anything here. <laughs> I'll be toast if I, I'm not careful. And so then the psalmist moves. 
And he goes into verses 6 through 9, as we saw uh, here, with identifying, uh, I think, some of God's attributes. If we had, well, we have a little time. What exactly is the psalmist stating about the Lord here? What is he saying about the Lord? We've already looked at a little bit of this, and I've just stated a few things. But what's he saying about the Lord in these verses? What is he reminding himself of in, as he sings this psalm? He's a righteous judge. Yeah, he's a righteous judge. We come back to this. It was all the way from the very beginning. But he's a righteous judge. What else? He's exalted. He is the high one. He's the almighty. So much so, that's why he knows earlier on in verses 1 and 2, this is the only source of help I have. Right? I'm going to put down the rook card. <laughs> uh, this is the ace of spades. Yeah. Verse 11. He's angered by injustice every day. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <coughs> he's a holy God. And then the next verse, God, a person doesn't change, God sharpens his sword. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I wrote, we don't have time, but this is something for you to ponder uh, today, what character of God have you found as a source of encouragement and comfort in the last several months? What, what character of God or attribute have you found as a comfort in your own life? Maybe you haven't dwelled on that. Pick one. <laughs> Think about one the rest of this day. This psalmist, who sees all the injustice around him, delights in knowing that God is just. He keeps the scorecards. He knows. Right? He knows. And that he takes comfort. Maybe it's that he's your shield. Right? Maybe that he is your protector. But just think about this 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 even today as you go about your, your daily activity. What is the attribute of God that you find most comforting in life? I think that's why God discloses so much of himself in scripture, is that we have these connectors. <laughs> we have things that we can cling to. Yeah, he's my El Shaddai. He's my provider. He, you know, we could go through the list, right? Of all these things who God is. And why? It's because God's people can rally around those. They can get their hands around that. This awesome uh, deity. Well, the psalmist closes then in this, this final section, which is fairly large, on praising God. I, I find that in interesting. You know, the, the difficulty is great, but far greater is who God is. And he spends the bulk of the time praising God for who he is and that he is going to deliver. He's very confident on this. Look at this. It starts in uh, verse 10. He says, the exalted God... And again, I mentioned this, but it goes back to verse 1, is my shield. He stated that in verse 1. All right? My shelter. Deliver me, he calls in verse 1 of, of the psalm, and he brings it back in verse 10. The one who delivers. It's as good as done. I make the request, but Lord, I know theologically you will do it. And you are doing it. It is good as it is. It's that sure, right? It's interesting. 
when you recognize who God is, which he was rehearsing, then it's a natural outflow is praise. Right? Right? He says, God is a just God. We just saw that in verse 11. And verses 12 and 13 are very clear. <laughs> God is prepared to act. Right? Look out. It's not a Nerf gun he's got. <laughs> he's ready to go to battle. See the one who's pregnant? And I, this is an interesting imagery. Um, because I'm glad there are no women in the room. I can say this. Uh, for women in the uh, Near Eastern culture, they were seen as um, fragile, as seen as vulnerable, and he hates them as a woman. I would never say that in a mixed crowd, but I'll say it here. <laughs> Hopefully we'll have to uh, expunge that from the recording. Uh, right? But it's true. He says they're, they're one is like pregnant. And what are they pregnant with? A lovely child? No, with wickedness. Who conceive, and this child turns around and eats them for lunch. Kind of reminds me of some of the imagery in Revelation, doesn't it? Uh, and I, I, I know some of us have thought we had the same type of child. <laughs> Who conceives destructive plans and gives birth to harmful lies. I mean, this sucker is going to turn around and it's going to eat you. Not only that, then he uses another image and he says he digs a pit that is the wicked one. And they fall right into the hole. You know what's interesting? This psalm is used often for your Purim in, among the Jews. That's the festival of the book of Esther. What happens in Esther with Haman's noose? Right? So the wicked one? Yeah. He's the, he, the gallows he prepared for the Jews. He himself becomes the, the, the victim. Right? And, and that's the whole idea here. Um, take comfort. God is going to judge and you may not see it this side of eternity, but that evil plot that they have, it's going to fall right on top of their heads. And I know there's times when you don't, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's where take heart like the psalmist and just cling to the Lord. <laughs> I know you, O Lord, and I'm going to rest in that. It just does not make sense, but I know you're in charge. And then he says, verse 17, and it's, it's the grand finale, the fireworks are going off. I will thank the Lord for his justice. Wow. You can't say that if you're not walking with the Lord. Right? You can't say that if your hands are not clean or unclean. You can't say that if you're not innocent. But if you, you are, you can thank the Lord and I will sing praises. That's the whole the word for psalm. I will sing praises to the sovereign Lord. And I love that. Sovereign Lord. He is the Almighty One. Isn't this a great psalm? It is loaded uh, with truth. Uh, in your notes, uh, Craigie's work on the psalms, he says, In the beginning of his prayer, the enemies overshadowed God. In the enormity of their plotting against him, but as the prayer ends with a note of praise, a proper balance has returned. When the ship is rocking in the storm of life, it is sometimes hard, right? Um, but for the psalmist, it's as good as done. Yeah, Lou? I think it's cool that the next chapter starts with the Lord having majestic is the name and he repeats it twice in And it's also why Psalm 1 calls for the righteous not to hang out with the wicked. We saw last week, right? 
um, the, the righteous uh, uh, better be in the assembly of the, of the godly. Why? <laughs> because you can't tap into the all-sovereign God for rescue if you're not walking with God. So clean your act up, so to speak. And yes, uh, Psalm 8 is fabulous. The Lord, our sovereign master, on the goes. Well, yeah, Steve. Yeah, it, his, his, the psalmist tone ch- changed from beginning to end. Again, that's, I think, one of the reasons we go to the Lord. With him. He wants us to go to the Lord, come to him with our problem. It helps us to process the situation. <coughs> You start focusing on the Lord and it helps put things in perspective. I find that when I don't look to the Lord, that's when I'm in real trouble. And it does, when I'm not looking to the Lord, I feel like the psalmist, I, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'm toast. Right? Let me just give you a few things to walk away. There's so much here in the way of application, but a few things to walk away with. Imprecatory psalms are couched in the context of the Hebrew scriptures uh, and under the covenant, but there is much that can be applied for us today. And here are three kind of governing thoughts with imprecatory psalms, all right? Number one, false accusations and injustices never undermine a person's standing in the sight of God. Living righteously allows us to pray with confidence to our righteous deliverer. In other words, in three words, the Lord knows. Psalm 139. Just turn there briefly. A great psalm. Psalm 139. At verse 17. The psalmist is rehearsing the things of God and he says, Psalm 139.17, How difficult is it for me to fathom your thoughts about me, O God? How vast are the sum totals? Right? And humana, humana, humana. <laughs> it's the response before God. You're awesome. So, like the psalmist, why would we allow these dogs to bark bother us. My wife has a great line. She said, I'm not going to allow individuals such as these folks <laughs> to dictate how we feel. They don't deserve it. They want that power. We're not going to give that to them. We rest in our audience, and our audience is one. We stand before God, and that's who we're accountable to. Right? And And in the sight of God, I must remain holy. These lies, yeah, they're out there, and there'll always be those dogs that run. And I know you want to shoot them and bury them in the backyard, but God will deal with them. Right? <laughs> He'll zap them. Secondly, here's another. Better to walk in integrity before God and suffer injustice, there's an interesting thought, than to share in the way of sinners. David could have... Per- could have skipped the psalm and pulled out the bow and arrow or or called for his soldiers to uh, incarcerate these idiots. Right? But he turns to the Lord. Uh, There's another psalm. Psalm 109. Look at this one. Here's an imprecatory psalm. (laughs) Psalm 109. 
is interesting. Verses 30 through 31. I will thank the Lord profusely in the middle of a crowd. I will praise him because he stands at the right hand of the needy to deliver him from those who threaten his life. Take comfort in that one today, right? And knowing God is there. And better to walk than to compromise. And then finally, the last one here. When caught in the agony and emotional upheaval of life's incongruities and injustices, our only true source of security and peace is the Lord. Psalm 59. Let's just look at this briefly. Psalm 59, 5 through 9. You, O Lord God, the invincible warrior, the God of Israel, bruise yourself and punish all the nations. Have no mercy on thy treacherous evildoers. Selah, which is kind of like saying, Amen, so be it. They return in the evening, they growl like a dog and prowl around the city. Look, they hurl insults at me and openly threaten to kill me. For they say, who hears? And then here's the kicker. But you, O Lord, laugh in disgust. Isn't that great? You laugh in disgust at them. You taunt all the nations. You are my source of strength. I will wait for you. For God is my, what? Refuge. The very thing Psalm 7 is saying. Uh, we're taking a group to Israel and Jordan in June. And we just completed, we, we provide a field manual of maps and diagrams with scripture and so forth. And we have one for the Jordan book, Jordan field manual that we've been working on. And you're walking through the, the, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Parasites, you know, all, all, these, all these nations. But it's, it was, I know this, but to see it as you're putting it in print and you're walking through all these nations... And then you tie it with the Old Testament, such as Obadiah, you know, his, his God's judgment on the Edomites, etc., etc. And you realize, there are no Edomites today. <laughs> There's no Edomite city. There's no Moabite. They're gone. There's no Canaanite. They're gone. God judged. And... And this idea that God laughs at disgust, there's so much of that in the minor prophets, isn't there? You think you, you have the last say? Oh, I'll take you out. And it's interesting who God used. He didn't use a bunch of Sunday school teachers or a group of nuns from a convent. <laughs> he used some of the most ruthless, bloodthirsty soldiers that ever existed, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, particularly the Assyrians who went in and just eradicated them horrifically so. God will have the last laugh. And we can take comfort in that. Yeah, Marcus. Um, well, if you've got, if you're in this trial where people are, are hurling these insults at you, these unmerited accusations against you, how do you, how do you balance between Understanding that that nothing happens that is outside of God's sovereignty, that He works all things together for the good of those who love Him and call according to His purpose, and and then and we also shouldn't be surprised when the world hates us. 
and yet he wants it's, it, it doesn't contradict but he's actually he's, he's asking for for God to step in now and so I, I struggle a little bit with what's my what's my call to endure and trust and yet what is my what's my call to ask God to intervene right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it, waiting for his timing, but I just struggle with that a little bit of like, you know, am I just called to endure this and trust because God's going to do it, or am I calling God to actively intervene right now? Thoughts on that? I, 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 I have his exact concerns. <laughs> I don't Unbalanced Maybe I'm wrong, Bruce. Doctor Bruce, you can correct me. I think it's a both and. Yeah. 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 It's a both yeah. and. Yes. <laughs> it's like Lord, I, I, my heart would like to lash out, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you, <clears throat> and I, and I want to learn through this experience, but at the same time, Lord, please rescue. I, I think of Joseph. You realize he was in jail for probably 14 years in Egypt. That's a long time. You know, year one, okay. Year four, I don't think so. (laughs) And yet, at the end of it, when he sees his louse of siblings, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I don't know about you, but man, I wouldn't have been sticking a gold cup in their sack. It would have been a rat. (laughs) But he looks at them, and, and... I will argue, this is where I think we've got to be men of the word. Because if our theology is off base, when these situations arise, we're toast. We're just toast because you have nothing to cling to. Uh, And and being reminded of the truths and recognizing, Lord, this is who you are. I rest in you. And um, at the same time, deliver. And I guarantee you, Joseph prayed that every day. (laughs) He had to have. Lord, I, I gotta remain true. I gotta remain faithful. But man, you know, take out Potiphar's wife. You know, what about my siblings? And yeah, fourteen years. And he turns around and says, "You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good." What an amazing statement! And his brothers can't believe it because they think when Jacob dies, now he's going to get him. Yeah, that's even later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're living. You know. Uh, I know what he said. But the I'm wicked flee sure. when no one pursueth. You know, they're constantly <laughs> looking over their shoulders thinking Joseph's going to come after us. I mean, he's the second most powerful man in Egypt. That's an amazing. In Egypt, you know, he Joseph destroyed Egypt. You realize that. He took all the power away from the priests. Uh, you study Egypt's history. Joseph was very clever <laughs> because he gave all the right to the king with the eminent domain, or not eminent domain, but taking the land and so forth to the grain and so forth. It's an interesting study. God used Joseph, but Joseph, man, what a what a testimony. But I'd say it's both. Maybe I'm wrong. You correct me. Yeah, a couple. Yeah. It's just interesting for me, all this stuff, but to this morning's Oswald Chambers, a person's character determines how he interprets God's will. He wrote this in Psalm 18, verse 25, and 6. I would go there, but and he also goes on to say, if we obey what God says according to our sincere belief, God will break us from those traditional beliefs that misrepresent him. And that just ties into all we've been shown. What was that first line again? That was so good. His character. Person's character determines how he interprets God's will. 
I'd say his character and his um, study of the word <laughs> determines how he views God. But yeah, that's great. That's a good. Thanks, Chambers. Always, he's so good. Roger, you had your hand up. Well, I think when you're in the midst of something like Joseph or anything like, you know, when you pray, you really never know what the outcome's going to be. That's the whole thing. Don't forget that we're fourteen years, fifteen years, fifteen children, and that's and I think. thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore we do not despair but even if our physical body is wearing away and our inner person is being, is being renewed day by day for our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Okay? So, what do I leave you with this morning? Like the psalmist, may we also say we are innocent, O Lord. If you're not, deal with it. <laughs> uh, get on your knees. Say, Lord, cleanse my heart. And may we conclude and echo the psalmist in verse 17, I will thank the Lord for his justice. I will sing praises to his sovereign God. Right? Lord, we just thank you for our time together. Thank you for these men. Lord, carving this time out of a busy schedule and life is picking up with spring breaks and end of the uh, school year for many. Uh, other responsibilities as the summer approaches. Lord, I just pray that uh, these words would minister to each of our hearts. For some, they're in the very midst of where the psalmist is, and that is life is unraveling. It's incongruent. Injustices uh, are all around them. And Lord, I pray, like the psalmist, that they can just cling to you and recognize that you are the exalted one. You are the sovereign one. And you are the great judge. And Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that we are clean through the blood of Christ and the cross. And we cling to that cross as we come to you in our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Well, have a great week, Lord willing. We'll see you next week as we continue our study of the Psalms.